A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you today? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? Of course! I'm very ready! Let's go! All right, let's give it a whirl! Okay, and I just want to say hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you here, especially since in a lot of places right now, this is the weekend of the beginning of spring break in the United States. I don't know how it is everywhere else, but I also want to say hello to everyone in UK who is now listening to the show. We're so excited to have you there. Uh, yes. Uh, cheers uh, to all those across the pond. Uh, we know that you've been listening for a while, but we just have um, our, our latest reports uh, now say that uh, the UK is now our uh, number three uh, most listened to uh, country. Uh, United States coming in number one, uh, the Republic of Ireland in number two, and uh, then uh, our friends uh, in the UK as number three, and Australia coming in at number four. Uh, so, uh, so it it gets me every time that um uh this little show that we're doing uh from our uh, respective uh makeshift studios and our uh, uh apartments is uh, going out there uh to uh the nation and the world as a whole and that uh people are uh, listening to us <laughs> and uh, enjoying uh, what we uh, have to offer so that is uh, so great and uh, we appreciate uh, each and every one of you it's lovely. Um, so uh, if this is uh, your first episode of History in Retrograde, I'd like to welcome you. Uh, we've got uh, quite the party going on over here. Uh, so uh, the way that the show works is that in a moment I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure uh, to my mother. Uh, she will then input that data into the bat computer and out will come the astrological birth chart where all the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that that person was born. 
Uh, she will then do her best to uh, give a blind reading of this chart, telling us what she can about the person's uh, motivations, characteristics, fortunes. Uh, and then uh, I will reveal to her who our mystery history guest is, give a little background about the person, and we'll come together at the end and figure out uh, how accurate the chart was at predicting what that person would do. Uh, and without any further ado, let us begin. All right, let's go. Uh, this is a female. Mm-hmm. Uh, born on the 18th. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Of July. Mm-hmm. 1867. Okay. Do we have a time? We do. <gasps> yes! What time? 5.30 a.m. Oh, that's awesome. Hmm. All right, and where? Uh, the United States. Mm-hmm. And do we have town? Mm-hmm. Uh, Hannibal, Missouri. Right there. Okay. All right. So first, we're just going to check and see if this person has any interceptions. Just because it interests me now. Now I'm interested Okay. And they do. Look. Mm-hmm. You see two Leo house cusps, and that's going to give us two Aquarius house cusps. And that is going to give us no Gemini house cusp and no Sag house cusp. Very, very, very interesting. And that Gemini house cusp is the 11th house, and that Sag is the 5th house. Ooh, this person. Mm -mm -mm. I can't wait to find out what this is about. All right, let me go back and put it into equal so I can look through it. All right. Okay. So this person, uh, we're just going to go through all of the planets first. This person has sun at 25 degrees Cancer, moon at 13 degrees Aquarius, Mercury at 17 degrees Leo, Venus at 6 degrees Cancer, Mars at 15 degrees Virgo, Jupiter at 6 degrees Pisces, Saturn at 17 degrees Scorpio, Uranus at 9 degrees Cancer, Neptune at 15 degrees Aries, Pluto at 15 degrees Taurus, North Node at 15 degrees Virgo. That's a lot of 15 degrees. And their rising sign is 3 degrees Leo. And their midhaven is 19 degrees Aries. Whew. This is a firecracker. <laughs> okay, so hmm, having Leo rising is going to give this person a more gregarious in the way like they make an entrance into a room you know uh for a cancer who normally would be a little bit more reserved this person has some oomph when they walk in the room you know and they have mercury in leo in the first house so that is really interesting because they should be very dramatic with their language and how they express themselves it should be very interesting to see how they communicate uh second house is virgo and they have north node 
and Mars conjunct in Virgo in the second house. If this person did not make a lot of money, uh, I would be very surprised because they definitely wouldn't have been working with their North Node. They should have been very, very organized and very passionate about how they dealt with their finances. Uh, third house is Libra. They don't have anything in that house, but their way of communication should have been um, very balanced, like being able to communicate in a way that you understand both sides of a situation. Uh, fourth house is Scorpio, and they have Saturn there. Saturn in your fourth house is lessons with the home, lessons with the community, karma with the home, karma with your inner self and the closest people in your family. So something going on because it's in Scorpio, which is very death and rebirth because Scorpio, Pluto rules Scorpio. So that's interesting. They have fifth house cusp is Sagittarius, but we know that this is a, um, you know, that we know there's an interception there. Uh, and then, but there's nothing in there, but it would have made them very um, good with uh, definitely entertaining. They definitely could have been very entertaining. The sixth house is Capricorn. They don't have anything in that house, but it gives them a very good work ethic. And, or, I mean, dark side could be, they could be really super manipulative and be like a super, like a super sneaky, high ranking burglar, <laughs> like the Pink Panther or something, where they have to think every single thing out. But usually it just means they're really good in business and that they have a very good work ethic. Uh, seventh house cusp is Aquarius and they have moon in their seventh house. So that's very interesting because your moon is your emotions and moon in Aquarius is um, a more uh, an airy communicative um, meeting of the minds kind of way to deal with your emotions. You love intellectual things, you know. So whoever they were with would need to be kind of intellectual. Um, then they have eighth house and they have Jupiter at in uh, Pisces at four degrees. And they also have Chiron in Pisces at 26 degrees. So Jupiter conjunct Chiron in Pisces in the eighth house. Pisces is very healing to begin with. So now we have Jupiter, which is, you know, a lot too much healing conjunct by sign to Chiron, which is the wounded healer in the eighth house of death and rebirth and other people's money. And, um, all the things that we don't speak of and death 
and um 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 uh why my brain is not working right now uh also hidden things um things that are taboo you know so this person maybe could have been uh maybe even like a therapist for people who had been in some sort of bad situations it has to do with healing and things that are not uh normally spoken of maybe and let me go on to the ninth house which the ninth house cusp is aries um their midhaven is in their ninth house and they have neptune there wow okay that's a lot because your midhaven is your career and the top of your chart, it's the things that are out that, you know, your outward self and having it in Aries would make this person seem like uh, very driven, but driven in Neptunian things, which are, you know, Neptune rules Pisces, which is healing and, um, uh, religion and dogma and higher learning and university level learning. So this person would have been, because well, it's Aries, right? So they would have been very passionate about this, but also this Neptune might have made them either super spiritual about it or confused about why they're so passionate about it. Like if they don't know if they couldn't get their direction quite right, you know, because Neptune's there and Neptune is a veil. And then they have 10th house cusp is Taurus and they have Pluto there in the 10th house. That is very, 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 very powerful 10th house, but also represents death and rebirth in the career and how people see them, their fame, uh, that's a lot of power and a lot of stubborn and a lot of tenacity. And then 11th house cusp is Gemini and there's nothing in that house. And then we have 12th house cusp is cancer. And this is where their sun and their Uranus and their Venus are all with Uranus conjunct Venus in Cancer in the 12th house, which is ruled by Neptune and Pisces. And having Cancer there should make them have natural abilities and karma with institutions, possibly, like hospitals and prisons or... Um, I mean, it could be, you know, natural abilities or it could be homes like, cause it's in cancer. So something about families and homes maybe. And then Uranus is there, which is not a happy place for Uranus to be in cancer because cancer would seem to want to tame that Uranus, but Venus in cancer would be really loving like should be super loving like why don't you love me <laughs> you know i'm loving you so much um does any of that make any sense 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, do you have any questions? Yes. Uh, what sort of profession do you think she would go into? Well, um, when that Leo rising, Leo risings like to be in the spotlight. That that's the sun. Their job is to bring light wherever they go. You know, so Leo rising is is usually lit. You know, but um, six houses. I mean ruled by cancer, but that can make people who are in the entertainment industry be very good about how they work their career, how they, you know, their day-to-day. They have North Node conjunct Mars in Virgo in the second house. So it could be something with finances. Um, It could be something with um, data calculating um, mathematics, um, and then, uh, this Jupiter and Chiron right here, some aspect of them has to do with healing, possibly healing people who have been damaged. Um, because, and also because hospitals are institutions, right? And nurturing and also, you know, teaching is in an institution. A school isn't in an institution. And also, you know, like a psychiatric place, the psychiatric ward would make sense with this. And um, I don't know, maybe working in some kind of institution. But so much power in their career. So there's a lot going on here. And this is clearly a splash chart. So it's hard to tell by looking at their chart because they would be good at so many things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What is her relationship to children? Um, She has Saturn on her fifth house cusp. But if you remember, we looked at the interception that's in this chart. So technically her fifth house, her Sagittarius is encased in here. And so it isn't her fifth house cusp. So she kind of goes from Scorpio to Capricorn. So she's missing her connection to the fifth house. But I would think that children could activate that. Because if you just look at the chart like this, then she could be kind of you know, Peter Panish with children because of the Sagittarius, you know, and also a really good teacher. So by Peter Pan, like, do you mean that she uh, doesn't grow up? Uh Kind of youthful, but also her moon is an Aquarius. So her nurturing instincts come from intellectual as opposed to, um, really super loving you know what i mean so her moon in aquarius is you know working at a different ratio to her sun and her uranus and her venus in cancer but then you look at her moon in aquarius which is ruled by uranus and her uranus (laughs) <laughs> is in a is in is her uranus 
is in Cancer, which is the moon. You know what I mean? Does that make any sense? So it's like you have moon, moon, right? You understand? No. There's some kind of an exchange here regarding her moon in Aquarius and her Uranus, which is in Cancer, which is ruled by the moon. And this means... It's just like, interesting. I mean, it is an interesting dynamic. But what is being exchanged? Her moon, which is the moon, which is ruled, uh, moon rules cancer, right? And that represents the mother. Right? Uh-huh. The mother, okay, is in Aquarius, all right, which is a more intellectual, you know, humanitarian. It isn't like... uh uh having your moon in cancer which is like i love these babies i love them i love everything i love everyone you know what i mean it's real super duper loving they're so good when you're around somebody who has a moon in cancer it's like oh they're gonna do everything you go to their house and they feed you and they want to make sure you're comfortable it's very nice moon all all cancer is just so good Unless they're angry, <laughs> which is not good. <laughs> so don't make your cancer angry because if you love them, they will love you back. But um, in this scenario, this person's moon, which is ruled with cancer, moon rules. Ugh, okay, I'm confusing myself. Moon rules the sign of cancer. All right. And their moon is in Aquarius, which is ruled by Uranus. Then their Uranus is in Cancer, which is ruled by the moon. So there's something dynamic about this exchange of moon energy. There's also something, um, you know, because Uranus is earthquakes and lightning and tsunamis and things that come surprises, you know, things that are also futuristic and technology and and new technology and inventions, you know. So there's something going on about that with this Venus conjunct by degree. Venus and Cancer, Venus and Uranus in Cancer conjunct by degree in the 12th house, which is karma. So, I mean, there could be some kind of inventing or new way of going about the institution. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. There's something about healing. Either this person's presence or the thing that they do heals people in a way that they need. I think. And that healing comes from a place of logic and intellect as opposed to just emotion. Um, in this situation here, where the moon is in Aquarius, it comes from logic and intellect. Okay, but cancers and see, this is sun, Venus and Uranus in cancer in the 12th house. So there is nurturing here. Okay, but this area over here in the eighth house, which is legacy. All right. Also somehow is connected to healing because they are conjunct by sign Jupiter conjunct Chiron by sign in Pisces. And I have Jupiter conjunct Chiron 
in Pisces at 10 degrees exact. So this person has no choice but to heal people. It is their instinct. They, they do it without even realizing they're doing it, you know, and they're, they're, <laughs> they're willing to put themselves aside to do it in a lot of cases. Maybe not and so much with the moon and in, in Aquarius, but I think maybe. And Pisces is a water sign, right? Mm -hmm. What is her relationship to uh, performing? I would imagine that she could be a performer because she has Leo rising. She also having this Jupiter in Pisces and Pisces originally being ruled by Jupiter. And then you look at the fifth house, there's a connection between this Jupiter and the fifth house because the fifth house is show business and it is uh, in her fifth house. It's ruled by Sagittarius, which is ruled by Jupiter. What is her relationship to education? Well, she has Neptune in Aries in the ninth house and her midheaven is in the ninth house. So um, with Neptune there, she could be a very creative teacher. She And it's an Aries, so this is like a creative warrior, all right? But also an aspect of Neptune is to make you feel a little disconnected, like you can't quite think of the word or you don't quite um, connect how you're doing this or that because Neptune is a veil, but it also makes you very creative. The downside of Neptune is that it can make you uh, be foggy, you know, but the upside is that Neptune and Aries could make you a very creative warrior in anything you do. You know what I mean? Like if you were a teacher, you would be maybe an innovative new kind of creative teacher, you know? Um, what uh, would her married life look like? Well, her moon is in the seventh house. So whoever her partner would be, she would really want them to be intellectual and she would probably want them to be human humanitarian, you know? Um... I mean, a lot of astrologers will say that people who have Leo rising end up with their seventh house cusp is an Aquarius, which makes you have a more unique kind of relationship. And you have, um, I mean, they even have, you know, situations where they have multiple partners because they don't want to settle down. You know, they're not interested in... Um, Maybe they're not interested in commitment, you know, but I think that you absolutely can have a long-term relationship with Aquarius on the seventh house. You just have to have an intellectual person who is as much of a, and I mean, not really an adventurer, but adventures in intellectual pursuits you know and her moon is there so she likes that like she's really 
naturally connected to um, innovative things and and um, new ways of doing things that that brings her joy, you know. What is her relationship to money? I think that she should have a very good relationship to money because she has North Node and Mars conjunct in Virgo in the second house. So she should have been very capable of making a lot of money unless she's not following her North Node. Now, um, we have these planets are at 15 degrees, you know, and this Neptune is at 15 degrees. I don't normally get into the squares and the oppositions and stuff like that. So just looking at this from this perspective, it, it would make sense that she would have a lot of money or be really good at getting money. Even if it's for other people. What would her attitude be towards those uh, less fortunate than her? Well, I would think uh, with all of this in cancer in the 12th house, that she would want to help them. I also think that this Neptune in Aries in the ninth house gives her a religious way about her that she may be able to help people with. Um, that's the light side of it. And I think she has Saturn and Scorpio in the fourth house, which is community and lessons with the community. And I have to say, I've never met a selfish Scorpio ever in my life. I've never met anything but benevolent Scorpios. So maybe I'm just lucky, but that's what it seems like. Where would you find her at a party? Well, I would think that she would be having an intellectual conversation with someone. But it's possible that she would be holding court because she has Leo rising and Mercury in Leo in the first house. What would she do uh, when faced with a disaster? A natural disaster. You know, it seems to me that this woman has karma with natural disasters because of this Uranus in Cancer. So I think if she was faced with a natural disaster, she would go into warrior mode and immediately begin to organize everything and sort of nurturingly take charge of healing the situation. Are there any other uh, final first impressions that you get from the chart? I think I would like this woman a lot. I think that this woman has a lot of spunk. And I think she's, honestly, I hope that she has a heart of gold because I think she has a heart of gold. And I think that the only thing that would pro prohibit her from being like really, you know, I don't know, um, just 
almost like I want to say like she's loud, like she could be loud, you know, uh, is this all these planets in cancer. So, I mean, this is this is not a woman. This woman, I don't think is. Uh, she's not scary. You know what I mean? But she's going to get the job done. Whatever it is, she's going to get it done. You know, this Pluto in the 10th house and Taurus, 6th house Capricorn, um, all this healing. Uh, it's a lot. And this Mars conjunct North node in the second house. Yeah, that's what I think. Are you ready for a summary of our findings? Yes, I'm a little scared. <laughs> so the first thing you said was that she would be a firecracker, mm -hmm. uh, that she would be gregarious, that she could make an entrance. Mm -hmm. uh, there'd be a lot of oomph when she made this entrance. Mm -hmm. uh, she could be dramatic with her language. Mm -hmm. She could make a lot of money. Uh, she would be very organized, very passionate about how to spend her money. Mm -hmm. She would uh, be good at uh, balanced communication, seeing both sides of issues. Mm -hmm. There are lessons with home and community. Mm -hmm. uh, there is karma uh, connected to the family. Mm -hmm. She'd be good at entertaining. Mm -hmm. uh, she has a good work ethic, mm -hmm. uh, good at business. Mm -hmm. Possibly could be super manipulative. Mm -hmm. uh, she loves intellectual things. Mm -hmm. She could be a therapist for people who have been in a bad situation. Mm -hmm. uh, a good person to nurture uh, things that are hidden mm -hmm. or secretive. Mm -hmm. uh, she could be very driven. Mm hmm uh and driven in healing and education and philosophy mm -hmm. uh she could be super spiritual mm -hmm. uh but possibly confused about her spiritual direction mm -hmm. there's a death and rebirth in her career and fame mm -hmm. uh she uh has a lot of power mm -hmm. she can be very stubborn and very tenacious mm -hmm. uh, she could have natural abilities mm -hmm. Uh, karma with institutions, mm -hmm. uh, families and homes, karma with families and homes. Mm -hmm. uh, she could be super loving, um, and that love might not always be uh, returned. Mm -hmm. uh, she, uh, wh Whatever she does in her life, uh, it'll be something in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. And she brings the light wherever she goes. Mm -hmm. Uh, she possibly could be in the entertainment industry, mm -hmm. uh, possibly in finances, mm -hmm. uh, possibly something with uh, data, calculation, mathematics. Mm -hmm. uh, she would be good at healing people who have been damaged. Mm -hmm. uh, she is connected to institutions, healing through institutions, um, and there's power in her career. Mm -hmm. uh, she could be very youthful. Mm -hmm. Uh, nurturing from an intellectual way. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a new way of going about the institution. Mm -hmm. uh, legacy is connected to healing. Mm -hmm. uh, she has no choice but to heal. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, at times would risk her own peril in order to heal others. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, is uh, connected all of this uh, legacy to healing and at their own peril is all uh, connected to the water. Mm -hmm. Uh, She uh, could be a performer, Mm -hmm. a very creative uh, warrior teacher. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is... uh, could be a fogginess, a disconnection in her thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would uh, want a, a person, a partner who is uh, intellectual and humanitarian mm-hmm. uh, and might not want to settle down. Mm-hmm. She craves adventures and intellectual pursuits. Mm-hmm. Uh, innovation brings her joy. Mm-hmm. She has a good relationship to money mm-hmm. uh, and is really good at getting money for others. Mm-hmm. She would want to help those that are less fortunate mm-hmm. uh, and almost has a religious way about her in helping those less fortunate. Mm-hmm. At a party, she would want to have an intimate intellectual conversation, um, but she might also be holding court. Mm-hmm. Uh, She has karma uh, connected with uh, natural disasters. Mm -hmm. Uh, She, um, in, in, uh, uh, if she were in a disaster, she would go into warrior mode. Uh, She would begin organizing, uh, take control of the situation Mm -hmm. and start to heal. Mm -hmm. Uh, You would like her. Mm -hmm. Uh, She has spunk. Mm -hmm. She has a heart of gold. Mm -hmm. She could be very loud. Mm -hmm. Uh, she is not scary, but she is going to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything that I left out? No, that sounds good. I, I hope I'm close. Do you have any idea who this person is? Uh, maybe. Do you want to take a guess? Is it the unsinkable Molly Brown? It is. <gasps> no way! No way! Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Okay, now every hair on my arms is standing up, Chandler. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I mean, Elvis was one thing. But this is completely crazy. Holy cow. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay, so this is only the second time I've ever guessed, right? Mm, no, you you. By the time we were done with our uh, in-depth look at Kendi and Nixon, okay. you, you had guessed them. Um, Did I guess Perot or no? No. Okay. No, no. I th- I think it, it it's been uh, Kendi and Nixon, mm-hmm. and then Elvis, and wow, and maybe I'm getting more psychic. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm thrilled to hear to hear about uh, the unsinkable Molly Brown because you know Debbie Reynolds played her, mm-hmm. and I like Debbie Reynolds, so I can't wait to hear about the unsinkable Molly Brown. So, uh, for those of you who are not aware, uh, we're talking about Molly Brown, uh, who. Uh, First thing, uh, was not named Molly, never went by Molly in her entire life. <laughs> um, that was something that was created for the musical. Uh, so uh, there's a famous musical uh, made uh, by um, Meriwether. Is it, uh, I have his name somewhere, but he did The Music Man and, and he did uh, these musicals. And uh, 
Margaret is her real name, mm-hmm. uh, but he uh, couldn't make Margaret rhyme with things, and <laughs> Margaret was not a very nice name to to sing, so he just changed it to Molly. Okay. Uh, and forever, in perpetuity, she will always be known as Molly, mm-hmm. even though she never went by that name in her entire <laughs> life. Um, but... Uh, unsinkable because uh, she uh, was on the Titanic mm-hmm. and she uh, did survive and uh, coordinated uh, relief efforts for those uh, who uh, were on the Titanic. Uh, but even if she had never stepped foot on that boat, um, she uh, would be well known uh, for uh, her deeds uh, uh, in the progressive movement uh, and in uh, Colorado history. Mm. Um, so uh, we'll uh, get into this. Uh, so she, uh, she was born Margaret uh, Tobin, uh, born to Irish immigrants, uh, John and Joanne Tobin in Hannibal, uh, Missouri. Um John uh, was a poor uh, laborer, Irish immigrant, uh, and uh, he, uh, when he got to uh, Missouri, Missouri was a, a state, and this is before the Civil War, so it was a uh, a state that allowed slavery, and he was uh, instrumental in uh, the Underground Railroad, mm. uh, getting uh, those enslaved uh, north uh, to freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Joanna, uh, or uh, jo- yeah, Joanna was described as a firecracker and uh, an Irish radical. Uh, so uh, politics and progressive ideas were always talked about uh, within the home, and the family uh, put a high emphasis on education. Uh, So even though the family uh, had very little means, they were still able to put um, Margaret uh, through school uh, Mm. all the way through the eighth grade, (gasps) uh, which was really something uh, in those days uh, for a poor uh, Irish immigrant family. Mm. Um, uh, After uh, she went through the eighth grade, uh, she then had to start working uh, to help support uh, the family. Uh, One of her early jobs uh, was uh, in a tobacco plant uh, where she was taking the leaves uh, and making uh, cigars uh, out of uh, the tobacco. Uh, And uh, the family and especially her realized that there wasn't a whole lot of future left for her uh, in Hannibal, uh, Missouri. Uh, so uh, she decided to head west. Uh, her older brother had already gone west uh, and had gone to Colorado to the town of Leadville. Uh, and so uh, she and a few other siblings uh, went out uh, to meet the older brother in uh, Leadville. And her whole plan going to Colorado was that she was going to hold off getting married so that she could marry a rich man. <laughs> She was not going to marry for love. She was going to marry a rich man so then she could use his money to help her family and help those less. Okay, I just have to show you this right here. This is your direction. This is a man. This is your second house. (laughs) She was going to marry a rich man. Do you see that? Mm-hmm. It's right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, that is uh, that is exactly what she <laughs> intended to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she gets to Leadville and uh, she works odd jobs in this mining community, uh, working at the uh, drugstore and uh, sewing up uh, 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 different uh, uh, carpets and things. Um, and uh, she decides uh, that she's for sure not going to marry for love. She's going to marry for money. Mm-hmm. And then there's this young man. Uh, well, 
uh, older than her. Uh, he he was in his thirties and she was in her late teens. But uh, named uh, James Joseph Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went by J J Brown, mm-hmm. and uh, he was not rich, mm-hmm. uh, not rich at all, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, was about the same uh, status as her. Mm-hmm. And uh, but just found her absolutely captivating, mm-hmm. and he just wouldn't go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he uh, kept asking her out to court her. And uh, there's one story that we're not exactly sure if it's completely true, but it, it goes into the idea of uh, Margaret Brown, uh, that he shows up to court her uh, outside of their cabin. And um, he shows up with a very old horse and a very broken down wagon. <laughs> and she steps outside and she says, uh, Mr. Brown, I'm not going to go into that horse and wagon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he left and he came back the next week and he had a new horse and a new wagon. All right, then. And then she uh, went out mm-hmm. with him. And uh, even though she uh, was dogged in her determination not to fall in love with him, uh, she did. Uh, and uh, then uh, they got married. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, she ended up... Um, uh, reneging on her promise to herself, mm-hmm. and she married a man who was not of means, um, and uh, uh, but married for love, mm-hmm. uh, and married J. J. Brown in September of 1886. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leadville uh, was a mining town, and the main thing that they were mining was silver. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, all through the 1880s into the early 1890s, uh, silver was being bought. Uh, by the U.S. government to be used uh, for coins. Uh, If any uh, of our uh, listeners may recall, uh, we did an episode on William Jennings Bryan, Mm -hmm. uh, and he uh, was instrumental in the bimetallurism campaigns of the 1890s because in 1892, the U.S. government passed the Sherman Silver Act, saying that the government was no longer going to purchase silver, that it was going to go on a complete gold standard. Mm -hmm. And so silver would no longer be used in making U.S. currency. Uh, and if anyone recalls, William Jennings Bryant got a large support. Uh, his A large part of his support base was from the West, was from these mining communities who were completely based upon the silver trade, which was now devastated by the yeah. fact that the U.S. government was no longer buying silver. Uh, this uh, deeply affected Leadville. Mm-hmm. J.J. Uh, Brown was not a miner, but he was sort of a uh, mine engineer. Mm. Uh, so he had to engineer the way that they were going to close the mine and make everything safe mm-hmm. uh, as they're coming out. And as he's putting up these uh, barricades and things, he, he starts going uh, through the mine and he sees, uh, as he's clearing away some rocks, um, he sees something shiny, and it's not silver. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gold. <laughs> uh, and in fact, he discovers uh, the largest gold vein <laughs> in the United States. Uh, so uh, he uh, becomes uh, part of the company. They bring him on to the board. He gets 12,500 shares uh, in the company. And uh, Margaret Brown and J.J. Brown are made millionaires overnight. <laughs> That's beautiful. Uh, That's just gorgeous. Uh, 
Margaret was always aware of how they got their money. Mm -hmm. That they got their money from the mines,、mm -hmm. and that they got their money from the miners、mm -hmm. and the miners' families, and knew of all of the trials and tribulations that the miners were going through. That they were putting themselves in harm's way. That there were men who would die and leave their families destitute.、Mm -hmm. There were effects that happened from the mine where these miners would breathe in gases and dust that would. Not really uh, uh, show up for years later, but then would be harmful to them. Uh, so uh, e even though she was in the clear uh, uh, financially, uh, she decided that she was going to use this money to help these people.、Mm -hmm. uh, so she starts setting up soup kitchens. She starts making sure that um,、uh, the women and children who don't have、uh, fathers and husbands anymore are taken care of,、mm. um, and uh, never. Uh, this never left her mind.、Mm -hmm. um, she decides, though, that she doesn't need to live in this mining community anymore, and so they build a thirty thousand dollar mansion in Denver,、uh, and which is now forever known as the Molly Brown Mansion. <laughs>、um, and it's a it is a museum in Denver that you can visit.、Um, And she becomes part of society in Denver,、mm -hmm. uh, and but she is not old money. She is very clearly new money,、mm -hmm. nouveau riche,、uh, and so it's <laughs> really, not really old, new money,、yeah. <laughs> new, not, new money, and 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 it's not always accepted <laughs>、mm -hmm. among the、um, elites,、uh, even in Denver society.、Mm -hmm. uh, And especially because of these hard political stances that she、uh, would take,、uh, <laughs> not just in uh, uh, helping those less fortunate than her, but also in politics,、uh, she was on the、uh, leading edge of、uh, suffragettes and getting women、uh, the right to vote,、mm -hmm. uh, which、uh, Colorado did long before uh, the. Uh, Amendment was passed uh, in 1892. Uh, Colorado gave women the right to vote, and a large part of that had to do with the campaigns that she went on and others like her went on、uh, to give、uh, women the right to vote. There,、mm -hmm. uh, she also used her newfound wealth to educate herself. Education、mm -hmm. was always important to her, and so she continues her education. She learned French, German,、yes. Italian, and Russian. Uh, she entertained. She had the largest parties, but these parties were always for a purpose. There was always a fundraiser. There was always this goal of getting money to help those less fortunate.、Mm -hmm. um, she is also credited with、uh, making the first juvenile court in the United States. Wow!、Uh, all this time,、uh, when miners—that's、uh, with an O. Uh, young people uh, uh, committed crimes. A lot of times, they would just be tried the same as if they were adults,、mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes they would be executed. Sometimes they would、uh, just go to prison for the rest of their lives, or they would get very harsh adult level、uh, punishments and just maintain this cycle of crime. Uh, and so she worked together with a judge, uh, Judge Lindsay, uh, to uh, make a juvenile court、mm -hmm. in Denver,、uh, therefore hoping to rehabilitate these young people to get them out of this cycle, so they did not commit crimes for the rest of their lives. Instead, they would get an education and hopefully break this cycle.、Mm -hmm. Uh, she also took、uh, this newfound wealth, and she traveled. She saw the world. She saw、uh, New York. She saw、uh, London and Paris.、Uh, and as part of、uh, this travel, she 
became estranged uh, from JJ. Mm. Uh, JJ was a, a miner. He he was very he morning, noon, and night. He was always concerned about the mines, getting the most profit out of the mines. Mm. Um, that was his life. The mine was his life, um, and she was not being fulfilled with just the mine. Mm-hmm. She wanted to see the world. She wanted to go to the salons of Paris. She wanted to go and see all of these things. Uh, so they start. Uh, uh, getting further and further apart from each other, not just uh, physically, but emotionally as well. Mm-hmm. And they would end up going into a legal separation. Uh, also, uh, as part of her political advocacy, um, she runs uh, for the United States Senate. Mm-hmm. Uh, she ran uh, to be uh, the first female senator uh, three times. All of these before 1914. Wow. Uh, so all of these times before women had the right to vote nationally, mm-hmm. uh, she was campaigning in Colorado to be <laughs> the United States representative from that state. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, her, of course, major claim to fame, uh, what makes her internationally known is her role in uh, the sinking of the Titanic mm-hmm. or what she did during that. So the reason that she gets on the boat in the first place is that she is in France. She loves going to Paris. She is in Paris uh, with the Astors. And um, her oldest son uh, becomes ill, so Lawrence. And she gets a cable from Denver saying that he is ill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she drops everything to go and rush to his aid. Mm-hmm. Uh, she uh, gets the first boat out, uh, and that is the RMS Titanic on its maiden voyage. Uh, she uh, gets on on April 10th, 1912. Uh, four days later, at 11.40 p.m. on April 14th, the Titanic struck an iceberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, it uh, be, The bow uh, began to sink, uh, and it wasn't chaos right away. Uh, every there were uh, um, uh, procedures in order for uh, when this sort of thing happened. Mm-hmm. No one knew, uh, really understood that there weren't going to be enough lifeboats for everyone. Um, so she calmly went into her room and got a life jacket, put it on, and she started finding all these other women. Many of them didn't speak uh, English, uh, uh, and and uh, many of them were confused, trying to find their husbands. Mm-hmm. And uh, she grabbed them mm-hmm. and started taking them toward. The boats, mm-hmm. and uh, on the second lifeboat uh, that was uh, uh, being uh, uh, lowered, um, she's helping these women onto the boat, and two men grab her and put her onto the boat. Mm-hmm. And she did not want to go onto the lifeboat; no. she wanted to stay on deck to continue to help other women and children uh, get onto the lifeboats. Uh, but uh, she, the, the the two men, refused to get her out of the boat. <laughs> And so she remained on that second lifeboat, <laughs> lifeboat number six. Uh, she That boat is then dropped uh, into the water, and it's not at capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is still room because not even all of the um, officers on board the RMS Titanic are fully aware that there aren't enough boats for everyone. Mm-hmm. So they left a little bit of room on that boat. Uh, and as the uh, and that boat is uh, dropped uh, a little after midnight, um, the boat would not completely sink until about 2 a.m. Uh, so they're looking at the boat and they see and they hear the, all all of the the metal just completely coming apart, mm-hmm. uh, and they hear the screams of people mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, 
Margaret Brown w- was not going to stand here and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said that, well, we have more room on this boat. We need to go back. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there was a quartermaster on board, and e- each uh, lifeboat had uh, one uh, officer from uh, the RMS Titanic to keep order on the boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Quartermaster Hitchens said, it's it's unsafe for us to go back towards the Titanic mm-hmm. to pick up more people. Mm-hmm. If we go towards the Titanic, we will be pulled under right. by the suction of the boat going underneath. Mm-hmm. Then there's going to be the thousands of people that are just left in the water. Mm-hmm. They're going to attack the boat mm-hmm. and pull us under. Yeah. It is not safe for us to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, this was not an acceptable answer <laughs> no. uh, for Margaret Brown. Uh, and uh, she... Uh, tried to convince all the other women on the boat to start rowing towards the Titanic mm-hmm. uh, and had many cross words uh, with Hitchens uh, <laughs> about uh, uh, and, and, and essentially called him a coward uh, for uh, not wanting to help more people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was... S- he was correct in mm-hmm. the sense that um, had they gone towards the boat, it most likely would have been pulled under. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, had they gone after it had been pulled under, they uh, would have been mobbed mm-hmm. by uh, whatever uh, people, if they were still alive, mm-hmm. because most of the people on the Titanic died within five minutes right. from hypothermia. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was also completely shaken by the situation and and Hitchens was really not completely prepared for any of this to take command of this lifeboat uh he could be seen uh at the uh, uh bow of the boat uh looking at the Titanic looking out to the sea and just muttering to himself we're lost we're lost there's no way out mm-hmm. we're lost mm-hmm. we're lost uh, and he wasn't giving commands to anyone mm-hmm. and so Margaret Brown is the one who says okay ladies Grab the oars, mm-hmm. put them in. We need to row this way. Start rowing. Mm-hmm. She's really the one who saves lifeboat number six mm-hmm. and takes control of the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, lifeboat number six then meets up with the um, RMS uh, Carpathia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was uh, the boat that rescued whatever survivors there were from the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as she gets onto the Carpathia, she starts organizing relief efforts <laughs> for all the second and third class uh, passengers of the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, her uh, ability to speak uh, Italian, German, oh Russian, uh, French all played a role in this. Being able to talk to these uh, people, these poor immigrants, uh, to make sure that they were getting what they needed, to see uh, who they had left behind, mm-hmm. to try and reunite people if possible. She starts uh, getting onto the the radio to radio over to New York City so that everything is prepared for when the Carpathia uh, <laughs> makes dock in New York City. Once the Carpathia does reach New York City, she refuses to get off of the Carpathia until every single passenger from the Titanic has some sort of family or home to go to. <laughs> uh And it was uh, because uh, of all of these efforts that she then becomes internationally known uh, as uh, this uh, great uh, uh, savior of uh, the passengers of the Titanic. (laughs) But I have to say, you know, there's a lot of women that I know that are Irish that it just it just sort of erupts out of them. But of course, she was very clearly designed to do this i mean for all we know the universe sent her there on purpose 
so, uh, 1914, uh, there's a lot of things that happened in her life in 1914. Uh, and not all of these uh, that I'm going to say are in order, but I'm kind because they all happened at the same time. So I'm compartmentalizing these things. The first is the Ludlow Mine disaster. Uh, so uh, the Ludlow Mine uh, was in uh, the southern area of Colorado. It was a mine uh, under the uh, company uh, that was run by J.D. Rockefeller Jr., uh, those uh, who were working the mine uh, were trying to get better rights. They were trying to have an eight-hour workday. Uh, they were trying to get uh, education uh, for uh, their children, uh, trying to get basic necessities and rights. Uh, they uh, were all in company towns. So these homes were built by the company and owned by the company. Uh, they had to uh, buy everything that they needed from the company store. Uh, they did not use money, but used company cash mm-hmm. to buy things from the company store. Mm-hmm. These people were completely, essentially owned by the company. Uh, so when uh, these uh, workers went on strike, uh, Rockefeller uh evicted them from their homes, Mm -hmm. and they set up a tent city near the Ludlow Mine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then uh, Rockefeller sent in uh, militia and uh, goons to go in and clear the tent city. Uh, During this clearing, uh, a fire uh, uh, broke out. Uh, So people were shooting at each other, and then an actual fire uh, happened. Uh, because of the uh, machine guns uh, being used against the miners and because of the mm. fire, uh, over 20 people died in the disaster, including two women and 11 children. Mm. Um, Margaret Brown rushed into the situation uh, and was asked to do so both by the miners and by Rockefeller mm. because Rockefeller thought that she would be on his side. <laughs> uh and so she was trying to work her way as an intermediary to see both sides of this issue, um, but quickly be- saw that uh, this situation had gotten way out of hand and that these miners, these striking people needed help. Uh, and so she organized the relief efforts. She uh, made uh, soup kitchens and uh, tried to provide things uh, for uh, the miners and their families. And then she began a national campaign uh, to try and push Rockefeller to uh, get uh, these basic rights to these miners. Uh, she uh, campaigned across the nation and she went uh, uh, throughout the newspapers. She had developed quite the close relationship with uh, the columnists in the newspaper. Uh, and uh, went on this media campaign against Rockefeller. In the end, Rockefeller did make some concessions, but not nearly uh, the uh, things that the miners desperately needed. Mm -hmm. Um, But those concessions that he made uh, were due in large part to uh, Margaret Brown's uh, efforts. Uh, At the same time, 1914, we are uh, really in the progressive era of American politics uh, and uh, sort of the hub of the women's movement and really the hub of all of society was the town of Newport, Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, she starts to uh, leave the West behind and really focus on uh, Rhode Island and New York uh, as sort of her home uh, during this time. Uh, So she goes in and she is... uh, uh, welcomed into society, even though they're not particularly 
particularly um, uh, agreeing with her in, and, and and they recognize her as this nouveau riche, but <laughs> um, she has such a personality mm-hmm. and is so uh, bombastic and wears these extravagant clothes and <laughs> has the greatest parties that they keep her around anyway. Uh, and uh, she sort of bridged the gap in the such the suffragette movement. Uh, so there were some of these more conservative ladies um, like uh, Alva uh, Vanderbilt um, uh, and they represented that they wanted uh, slow changes. Really, they they wanted the right to vote, but they still wanted to keep a lot of these things, uh, uh, society uh, intact. Uh, they really didn't care about if miners got killed or shot or if they had an eight-hour workday. Um, they they were just they they really were focused on getting women the right to vote and doing it in a um, respectable manner. Uh, So speaking uh, as a way to do that. Mm -hmm. Then you have this other side that was a more radical side of the suffragette movement, really led by Alice Paul. And they were going on hunger strikes and uh, they were being force fed uh, in prisons. And uh, they were uh, protesting outside of the White House uh, and uh, doing all sorts of dramatic things to try and get women the right to vote. And on top of that, make sure that other progressive things happened as well. Mm-hmm. And Brown was sort of in the middle between the Vanderbilts and, and the Pauls of the world. Uh, and so in 1914, there was uh, this great uh, convention, this conference of great women, mm-hmm. uh, and it met in Newport. And uh, Brown was uh, instrumental in making sure that both sides of this movement met and had a cohesive agreement between the two so that they could work together to get women the right to vote. Wow. While all that is happening, she's also running for Senate. (laughs) Uh, So she's running for Senate in Colorado. Uh, but in April of 1914, she leaves the race because, uh, uh, World War One is breaking out, and Brown's sister had married a German aristocrat. Mm. Uh, so she knew that this was going to damage her reputation, and that uh, it was a long shot that she'd be elected anyway. Mm. But certainly, with a uh, uh, a sister who was married to a German aristocrat in this time of war, mm. she decides to back out. Uh, And what she does is that she goes to France. She goes where the war is being fought, and she starts organizing relief efforts. She starts organizing female ambulance drivers. Uh, And uh, because of her efforts uh, organizing uh, for nurses and ambulance drivers and taking care of the soldiers, uh, she would eventually be given uh, the uh, French Legion of Honor for uh, her work uh, in World War I. Wow. Uh, following the war in 1918, she sort of uh, wants to stay in France. She wants to stay in the Paris of the 1920s. Uh, this is the Paris of Hemingway and Fitzgerald and Picasso. And uh, she moves about in these circles and uh, uh, really wants to stay. She also decides that she wants to take up acting uh, and performance. And so she uh, starts acting in plays. This is Sort of a completely new third <laughs> act for her. Uh, and so uh, she starts uh, performing on the stages of Paris and eventually goes back to America and performs uh, on the stages of New York. Wow. 
1922, her husband, uh, J.J., passed away. Uh, there is uh, an estate, a probate dispute uh, between herself and the children mm. as to who's going to get the money. Wow. Um, and uh, that was a very... Um, chaotic uh, and uh, caused a lot of uh, scandal. Um, And she decides to settle in New York City. And uh, she lives uh, in the top of this hotel, and she uh, opens up uh, a school uh, where uh, she teaches acting to young women. Mm. Uh, And uh, she was there uh, throughout the late 1920s. uh, And then uh, in October of 1932, uh, she uh, passed away peacefully in her sleep. Wow. Uh, Starting from her obituary and going forward, her myth just grew and grew. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even in the first accounts that are published of her life, they start saying that... um, uh, uh, as a child, she was rescued from the Mississippi River <laughs> by a young Mark Twain. Oh, no. Uh, Mark Twain was from Hannibal, Missouri, <laughs> but the two never met. Uh, and then it just keeps growing and growing of this uh, famous woman who was out in the Wild West and then was on the Titanic. Mm-hmm. And all of these stories circle and circle. And any mention of the Titanic in uh, uh Early films always included uh, a scene uh, with um, uh, Maggie Brown. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then in 1960, uh, uh, the... uh musical meredith wilson uh, p- uh pins together a musical uh, about the unsinkable molly brown mm-hmm. uh and this uh, cemented her forever <laughs> for posterity mm-hmm. uh eventually the movie was made in 1964 starring debbie reynolds uh as the unsinkable molly brown mm-hmm. and uh almost none of it uh is uh <laughs> true um, outside of the fact that she was on the Titanic and she was a very feisty woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of the popularity of the musical, uh, which just, by the way, in 1965, one of the Gemini capsules going up into outer space was named the Molly Brown. Wow. Uh, because of the, the, the character and because of her legacy. That's part of her legacy too, even though she was never called Molly in her life. Um, but because of the popularity of this, people start going to Colorado and people start going to uh, Missouri to see where she lived. And these homes had fallen in disrepair and were scheduled to be demolished. But because of the popularity of the musical, these homes were saved wow. and are now museums. So now to this day, you can go to Denver, you can see the Molly Brown house and you can see the mansion as she would have had it uh, in uh, the late 1800s. And you can see uh, the cabin uh, in Hannibal, Missouri where uh, she uh, grew up. Uh, and uh, she is immortalized. You see uh, uh, Titanic, uh, James Cameron's Titanic, uh, Kathy Bates is playing mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Molly Brown. Uh, and uh, she, uh, any story about the Titanic is now always uh, going to have a mention of Molly Brown. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's 
intimately connected to uh, the progressive movement, the suffragette movement, uh, the Gilded Age, uh, and uh, labor disputes, and and so many other things, uh, as she should be. It's like her fame from the Titanic then brings a new light to what the the causes were that she was fighting for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, a, a truly uh, a remarkable and uh, unsinkable uh, woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that uh, this chart uh, bears out a lot of uh, what she did. That is really, really interesting because I really took a long shot. But as you've gone through her history, it's very interesting to me because her love her moon her heart is with humanitarian right aquarius Mm -hmm. her she wants to do things for humanity but also having chiron conjunct jupiter in pisces in the eighth house is you know death and rebirth she shows up when things are being burnt to the cinder to help them regrow rebirth she's there for the rebirthing which is really interesting and so much power in her career and um, her love for education and travel, this Neptune in Aries in the ninth house, the house of education and travel, right? Uh-huh. It's very, very, very beautiful. And I, I am amazed at how, wonderful she was and how it plays out and how she nurtured and you know just all the different things that are right here in her chart it's amazing to me yeah i i think uh that this is um a, a lot of things here make sense uh i think that the legacy tying into um helping people and uh i the fact that Pisces is a water sign. I mean, her legacy is the Titanic. Mm-hmm. So um, that that is uh, that's all right there, and that that stuck out to me as you were reading it, and then uh, so many other things as well that um, she she used her money to help and nurture people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just just a lot out there uh, that that makes uh, a lot of sense. That is amazing. I'm really glad you chose her, Chandler. This is very, very lovely. Uh, well, uh, on our scale of right on the money to way out in outer space, this one is definitely right on the money. <laughs> this is uh, the chart of uh, Margaret Maggie or Molly Brown, however you want to say it. <laughs> um, this is uh, this is her. It makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, that concludes this episode of History in Retrograde. We'd like to thank you all so much for listening. Uh, and if you would like to uh, support the show, uh, we have links to uh, all of our social media uh, in uh, the episode description. We also have a link to our PayPal account. Uh, every little bit helps us in producing a better quality show and expanding our audience. And if you would like to be your very own Mystery History guest, we can make that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just uh, reach out to the email uh, in the show description uh, Chandler's mom at historyandretrograde.com and uh, you can get with her and talk about uh, getting your chart read uh, or that special someone or that special four like it's 
That's absolutely true. I'm very excited to meet everyone. And I love spending time with all of the new people that I've um, had the opportunity to meet and work with their charts. And um, you can also find anything about the show, even links to all the different uh, podcasts on historyandretrograde.com. And um, I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, we'd like to uh, once again thank you all so much for listening. And uh, as always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything is going to be just fine. Thank you so much for being there. Thank you for listening. We love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.